Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. If we haven't met before, my name's Jono. It's a pleasure to thank you, Josh, to share the word with you. Who got a booklet on the way in? Who got a devotional journal? Yeah, hopefully you did. If you're not here uh, today and you're watching this online, make sure you're here uh, next week or flick a text to someone who you are hoping is here. Get them to grab one for you uh, and get it to you. If you do have your journal and a pen, uh, then there is space on page number 12 to write some notes. There's not enough space, right? Because who knows? It's just going to be pages and pages. We've got five hours together today, and we're just looking forward to it. Just some time in God's presence for all of the rest of the week. Uh, That's a joke. If you're new here today, it won't be that long. It'll only be four hours, so it'll be great. Uh, But I do encourage you, as we're stepping into this series of Commissioned, uh, to take some notes. Uh, It's it's our prayer, really, that that in this series, as we push in uh, to this idea Uh, And and it's a big idea. It's a familiar idea, but a big idea that we're going to unpack over the next four weeks that that God speaks to you, uh, that that God encourages you, that that God becomes more and more real and you become more and more convinced of His love for you uh, at, the, at the end of the series. And really this series is, it's our e-group campaign and it's, it's, it's kind of a banner theme for us as a church nationwide this year, is this idea of, of commission. And really throughout the series, essentially what we're going to be doing is we're going to be asking, what does it look like to live a, a commissioned life? And like Penny encouraged, I just want to repeat that encouragement. If you're not in an e-group, I really I want to uh, invite you. We believe that, that faith is lived out in community. You know, this gathering on a Sunday is, is important, and it, it, there's something special that happens corporately, but, but this is really an upward expression as we turn our attention to God, but we believe that we need to take this encounter with God and work it out together. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not yet in an e-group, why don't you join an e-group or, or start an e-group? And, and really across the next four weeks in e-groups and on a Sunday, like Penny said, we're going to be unpacking Matthew 28, the, the Great Commission. And, and we're going to be looking at these ideas of, of go, make disciples, uh, baptize, and teach. But because the conviction that, that we have and really the core idea at the, at the center of this series and really the core idea of, of who we are as a church is, is that we're not just here for us. That, that actually as a people of faith, we believe that Jesus came to us to make a way where there was no way to show us love and that as we follow Jesus, we're invited him to join him and to go. And so if it's all right with you, uh, we're just going to jump straight into it this morning. I, I could try and come up with some jokes on the spot, but that's not, n- no one's going to enjoy that, right? Well, I'm not going to do that. You're not going to enjoy that. It's just, so what we're going to do uh, is, is we're going to look at this idea of go. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read probably what is a familiar passage of Scripture, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. It says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. One more time, why don't you bow your heads with me and uh, and let's pray. God, we thank you for these moments together. 
God, I pray as we look at your word that we know that, that your word is living, that your word is real, that you meet us in your word. And I pray that today as we, as we look at it, as we look at these, the, this invitation that you've given to us, that you've given to the church throughout history, that it wouldn't be just a, a repeat of, of old ideas, but that you would meet us in a new way. God, where maybe we've forgotten things, if we've heard this before, you would breathe life into it. Maybe if this is the first time we hear it, that it would grab us. But I pray that today it wouldn't be my ideas, wouldn't be me trying to convince us of anything, but that, that it would be you. God, that we would meet with you, that we would make way for you, that you would speak, that you would breathe into us, that we would leave here having encountered you, more assured of your love for us and, and your, your mission that we get to be a part of. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so if you've been in church for a while, the, the Great Commission, this passage in Matthew 28, it might be a little bit familiar, right? You might have heard it. Just quick show of hands, who's heard this passage of Scripture before? Yeah, like most of the room. This is a fairly familiar thing that, that we look at. But I want to start, we can kind of gloss over the, the start of this passage. I want to start with the, the premise of this passage that sometimes we can take for granted, this idea of go. Because I think it's interesting, the Bible tells us, especially we find it in First Peter, but, but really the theme is, is all throughout Scripture, that if you follow Jesus, that if you choose to make God your God, that if we respond to His invitation to be His people, that we become something different, that we step into a, a responsibility, a, a mantle, that we become, as Peter says, a royal priesthood. Right, and throughout the Bible, we find these kind of words, and, and they're kind of, it can be hard to understand exactly what this, what this means. It's, you know, probably if you were called a royal priest today, that would be the only time this week that someone called you royalty or a priest, right? Unless you've got a very interesting job, in which case I would like to, to hear a lot more about it. Someone's calling you like your sovereignty throughout the, you're a middle manager and you've got a power trip going on, right? You're like, no team, from now on, it's no longer Mr. Brown, you all have to call me your majesty. You're like, um, you're, okay. It's um, writing a complaint to HR. But, but what does this mean, right? This idea that we are God's people, that we are a royal priesthood. Really what it means is that all of us are, are called to ministry. That as, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, as people of faith, when we follow Christ, if we're following after him, we naturally have to follow him into mission. See, see what, I, what I mean by this is there's a theme all throughout the, the Bible that we see again and again in Scripture that, that an encounter with God transforms you into a person of mission. An encounter with God transforms you into a person of, of mission. Throughout the Bible, we find story after story after story of people encountering God. They realize who he is. They realize the, the, the love that he has for them. They realize his nature. And they go from what we could call like a passive belief to a lived relationship. And, and the direct result of this, this change in them is, is mission, which comes from the Latin word missio. It, it means to be sent, to, to go. Uh, John, I don't know if, if that's true, and going sounds like work, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose not to believe you. Let me give you a little bit of an example uh, from Scripture. We see this in, in Abraham, right? That the first time that Abraham meets God face to face, almost immediately God says to him, hey, get out of your familiar culture where you're prominent and where you're comfortable. Get out of your homeland where everybody knows you. Get out of your safety zone. Go to some place I'm not even going to tell you about before you get there. Take great risks. Make great moves. Go. Well, that's, that's Abraham, right? We all know the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Like he's, he's a bit of a big deal. He's a little bit intense, but that's just Abraham. That's not, it's a special thing. We see it in, in Moses, 
Like the first time that Moses meets God face to face. And, and like Abraham, Moses believed in God. Like, like Abraham, Moses listened to God. He deferred to God. He bowed to God. But in Exodus 3, he encounters God. It goes from a passive belief to a, to a lived relationship, and he meets him in a new way. He meets God face to face, and almost immediately, as soon as Moses realizes who God is in a new way, God says, go to Pharaoh. Your people, our people need delivering. They need saving. I've heard them crying out, and I'm telling you to, to go. We see in Isaiah 6, Isaiah is a prophet and he has this encounter with God in which he sees God in a new way and he, and he falls down as he kind of realizes just the enormity of how, how amazing God is. And he says, I feel like I'm coming apart. And God's response to him is, is he puts out just a very attractive sales pitch. Right? He, he says to him, I have a job for someone. I've got this group of people and, and they're over here and I need someone to go and to minister to them, to speak to them, to preach to them. These people, they're very hard-hearted. These people, they're not going to, to listen to whoever, whoever goes there is going to say the same thing year after year after year and not really make any sort of progress. And they're going to laugh at you and they're going to reject you and they'll consistently resist you. But I'm looking for someone to go. And Isaiah's response is, he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm keen. Here I am, sounds, sounds ideal. I've been looking for an opportunity exactly like this. Speaking to my wife this morning, I want to go somewhere really hard and do something impossible. It's not quiet, right? But he has this encounter with God, and, and he almost doesn't even hear the problems. He just hears there is an opportunity to share the, the love, the truth that I have, have experienced. God, send me. Here I am. Send me. I'll go. See, it seems like every time that somebody in, in Scripture sees God for who he is, their response is to embrace mission. They lose their consumer mentality. Their faith is no longer just about them. Uh, William Temple, the, the Archbishop of Canterbury, he puts it this way. It's a quote you might have heard before. He says, the church is the only organization that exists for the benefit of its non-members. Maybe you hear that and you're like, oh, oh, that's, uh, well, I suppose that's good for the non-members, right? But uh, I guess that's a hard pitch for us. Like, hey, come join an organization that exists not for you. Like, there's a reason that every other organization exists for the benefit of its members, yeah? Like, can you imagine, hey, come and join the bowls club. What are we going to, are we going to play bowls? No, we're going to help other people play bowls, right? Like, we're, just, we're never going to play ourselves. We're just going to try and make it work for other people. To come join our, our rock climbing club. Are we going to get to climb rocks? No, no, we're just going to buy gear to give to other people to climb. It, it, Organizations exist for the benefit of the people that join the organizations is generally the way that it, that it goes. Like, why would you join? Maybe you're th sitting here, you're thinking, John, it's not a strong sales pitch for church, right? Like, maybe I should, is that the door? I'm just going to leave quietly now. Like, why would I belong to an organization that exists for the, and I'm not saying that church doesn't exist for our benefit. I'm not saying that we shouldn't benefit from being in church. In fact, I think being a part of a faith community is the most helpful thing you can do in your life. But I'm saying that there's something special that happens in, in this organization in which, for some reason, William Temple would make this outrageous claim that we exist for the benefit of our non-members. See, one of the things I love about our faith is, is that it's countercultural. An observed truth in the world is that everything must take to live. Right, the, the first law of thermodynamics, I bet you didn't think we were going to be talking about that in church today, but there you go. The first law of thermodynamics is that energy is never created 
or destroyed. It just changes form. To live, we must destroy. We must take energy from somewhere else to take energy into ourselves. We must take. That's the way that the world works. But God says that's not the way that it was meant to be. God says that we're invited to step into heaven now, to live not according to the economy of the world, not to to the laws of take to survive, but in God's kingdom. We're invited to an upside down way of, of living. See, this is what Paul says in in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Now, now we can read this and, and think like, man, Paul's a bit like, he's a bit dark, isn't he? He's a bit of a downer, like Paul's being a bit of a spoil sport. He's hating on the world and everything in it. But that's not what Paul is doing. What he's saying is he's saying we can live from a place of actually I've met Jesus and in him and through him, everything changes. Other things aren't bad, but Jesus is so good that I see in him and through him that I have all that I need. And because of that, I can let good things be good things. I don't have to find my, my value or purpose or meaning in them. I can let the love and light and goodness in them be beauty. And in doing so, I don't destroy them. I don't ask them to be God. I don't put a weight on them that they cannot tolerate. I don't need to live a life of taking, looking for this thing. Give me meaning until I ultimately destroy it because that is the way of the world. This thing, give me meaning until I ultimately destroy it. There's a different way to to live. See, how can William Temple say the church is the only organization that exists for the benefit of its non-members? Well, in, in John chapter 17, verse 18, Jesus is praying and he, and he says to his father, he says to God, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. See, central to who we are as a people of mission is, is being a people who go. And, and, but Jesus, he starts the same prayer where he says, God, I'm sending these people, I'm sending my disciples, I'm sending my followers into the world just as I came into the world. He starts this prayer by, by saying something quite interesting. He says, I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. See, Jesus in this prayer seems to be saying not only does God send us, but that being sent is a source of joy. That, that living for the benefit of others, that not living in a taking way, that focusing beyond ourselves is actually the best way to live. That it's not a way that we do to try and earn joy or to try and subvert the system, but as we give of ourselves, we find that God is, is, is a God who, who lives in a way that doesn't make sense. See, how can existing for the sake of others, how can living for the benefit of others, being sent like Jesus, be a source of joy? How can the Bible say things like Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it is more blessed to give than receive? How can the Bible say things like Proverbs eleven twenty four? the world of the generous gets larger and larger? I want to suggest it's because if God is God, then church is the only organization that breaks the first law of thermodynamics. We don't live by destroying. We don't have to take because God is the giver of life. And and if we orient around him, if we embrace his divine economy, we find a life in taking up our cross. We find a life in in dying to ourselves. It's countercultural. It doesn't make sense. And yet my experience is that it's been true. I, I think there's something in all of us that knows that we're made for more than just our own benefit. 
right? Whether we have faith or not, I think there's something in us that, that knows this. And so often I, I talk to people and I, I hear things like, I just don't know what I'm meant to do with my life or what my purpose is or, or what my mission or, you know, what am I here for? I think everyone innately, we ache for meaning, we ache for, for purpose, because we're all a people of, of mission. Whether we have faith or not, God has made us to be a people who, who pour ourselves out. We're all made with this divine image within us. But it's interesting, because what can be this, this kind of beautiful invitation to be a people of mission can turn into a source of anxiety, can't it? Like, hey, there's a mission, there's a purpose for your life. To which the, the logical next question is, what is it? And what happens if I don't figure out what it is? Like, is, is, is my purpose and my mission in life like a train that I'm, I'm going to miss? And if I don't get to the station on time, the train's going to go by, and I'm just stuck at a train station and this extended weird metaphor. Like, what do I do at the train station? I don't know if you spent, there's not many trains in Christchurch, right, that you can catch, but losing, missing a train, it's a horrible experience. You're just there, you're there with the other people who are there, you don't know how long you're waiting, the next train, it's just not fun, right? There's points for Christchurch. But all too often, the other thing that I've found is I've met people who found passion, who found purpose, but, but burnt out, who found passion and purpose, but destroyed the mission in pursuing it. Maybe you know someone, maybe you've experienced this yourself. Examples like the teacher who started passionate and is now jaded. The social worker who, who's lost their patience. The pastor who started wanting to change the world and is now just getting by. The builder who's just building their own empire. All of these things which can be good things, good dreams and hopes, which identity, purpose, and value are hung upon. But, but somewhere along their way, the, their passion, the mission, it fell in on itself. It became a God. It became an idol. And ultimately, those things destroy themselves when we ask them to be God. It, it reminds me of a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. See, I think all too often what happens is we pursue mission, we pursue purpose in good things, but things that cannot be that ultimate mission, things that ultimately result in us taking and we destroy them. I guess that wasn't the purpose or the mission because I tried to make this thing and, and somewhere along the line we get what we thought we were trying to get and it doesn't bring us the satisfaction we thought that it would and so we go, oh, there must be something else. Right in culture, we call that, we call that burnout. We call that a midlife crisis, but, but really it's just the natural result of disordered loves, of when we ask something other than the creator, the giver of life to be life and it cannot sustain us. Could it be that there's a different way of doing it? You know, I love how Rich Wilkinson Jr. puts this. He, he puts it quite simply. If you're looking for mission, why not just join Jesus? If you're a person of faith and you are looking for a mission, why not just join Jesus? And by that, I don't mean that the things that you love to do, that your passions and desires should be discarded or are not good. But what I mean is Jesus had a clear mission. Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. Right, and, and, and I found that as Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as, as well. See, see, what I'm saying is this is not like a get-rich-quick scheme. This is not a way of subverting the way of, of the world. But, but what I've found to be true, and, and even what research is finding to be true, is that when we join the mission, when we join Jesus' mission, when we give away our life, all of my missions fall into place. Things work out in a way that I never saw coming. 
or things that I thought that I wanted, I end up being glad that I'm avoided. Like, man, if it was my way and if my plans came, then that thing would have worked out, but it didn't work out. And on the other side of that, I'm so glad. Or the inverse of that, things that I never wanted, things that, that I thought would, would never be a good thing that ended up kind of happening become great sources of, of joy. Because when we are following Jesus, because as followers of Jesus, that, that doesn't mean just believing in him. Following Jesus, being people of faith is, is following him. It's living life the way that he calls us to. It's doing what he did. It's becoming more like him. And Jesus lived on mission and Jesus calls us to mission. See, I know we're starting strong, but I wanna be really clear. As a church in 2023, we're not trying to build a community here in which we just come to get. We're not trying to build a community in which we just come to consume and in which you kind of muddle your way through the week and then get a bit of a, a spiritual kind of boost in the arm to feel good on a Sunday. I'm not saying that you shouldn't feel better for coming to church on a Sunday. I pray that that happens. But if that's all that's happening, we're kind of missing the entire point because that's not the gospel. The gospel is not, hey, come to faith in Jesus, follow after Jesus because he's a bit of a cool yogi who's got some great ways to live. He has good ways to live. The gospel is not, hey, come to Jesus and have faith in Jesus because then all of the guilt and shame in your life, you can kind of just, uh, you know, tolerate it a little bit if you feel like some mystic person out there in the world is forgiving you for the bad things that you do. That's not what this is about. Our faith is a relationship, a way of living empowered by a, by a being, by a, a person that we can come to know. The gospel is that we are commissioned to live in relationship with God, but to go from that place. We could put it this way. The church doesn't have a mission. Mission is not some, some kind of optional extra that we add on to church for the super keen Christians. Like everyone else can just come along and, and sing some songs and, and feel a bit better about themselves to go out into the rest of their week. And then the real keen people can, can engage in some sort of mission. The church does not have a mission. The mission has a church. Mission has existed before any sort of organization ever came into being. Jesus' mission began in Matthew 28, and the church was formed to fulfill that mission. Sometimes we can get it backwards, right? Sometimes our, our faith can become spiritualized self-improvement. It, it can become inward-focused, but it's not meant to be. We miss the essence of what this faith is, of who Jesus is, if it's not missional. One of my favorite authors, Robert Mulholland, he, he defines spiritual formation, which is just becoming more like who Christ intends us to be, more like who God has made us to be. He defines it as this, becoming more like Christ for the sake of others. I think that final bit is really important. I think so often in, in the world that we live in, our faith can become a divine self-improvement project. Like, oh, well, I can just be a little bit happier. I can just be a little bit more prosperous. My life can just be a little bit better if, if I follow Jesus. I'll just add him on top, and he's the, the icing on the cake. He's going to make all of my problems disappear. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus because we have encountered him ourselves. But in following Jesus, the people that benefit from us following Jesus the most shouldn't just be us. We become more like Christ, not for our benefit, but for the sake of others. See, I think if we don't focus beyond ourselves, our faith can become so self-indulgent and God goes from a Lord to a, to a genie. Ultimately, we make God in our image rather than becoming more like him. 
But, but when we're others-focused, when we're missional, we walk in the steps of Jesus. It's a countercultural faith. It's a going faith. It's an active faith. It's not just a come and see, but it's a go and tell. So the question I want to ask is, how do we do that? Right? How do we go? Because maybe when you hear me say that, you think of a certain way of, of going, right? Maybe you think of that, that street evangelist who has a placard that says something like, sinners will burn in hell, right? We've all kind of seen or heard of someone like that. And I want to say, that's a method of going, right? We'll acknowledge that. That is a method of going. But I would suggest that it's not the best method, right? If you think it is, let's have a little chat after the service. I would enjoy that opportunity because maybe it ticks the box of having gone, but if the way in which we go puts off those we are going to, did we really go at all? It's a bit of a tongue twister, right? But let me say it this way. If the way in which, if those we went to are so put off by how we went, did we really go? Right, going is not a thing that we need to tick. It's like, oh yeah, I told some people that they're sinners and that they're bad. And the implication is that I'm pretty good and I felt better about myself when I did that. Like sinners will burn in hell of which you are one of and I am not. So uh, sucks to be you, but great to be me. And come and ask me about the answers that I have in this weird power dynamic that I've now created in which I have become your Lord and Savior, right? It's kind of what we're doing. What I'm saying here is that method matters. When you turn to your neighbor and say method matters. All right, but a bit of insight here into the, the preaching process. Generally, what is, is recommended that you do is you start light and you get more intense, right? It's a great thing to do. What I've done today, just to shake things up a little bit, is I've started as intense as possible, and now I'll get a little bit lighter. Uh, it's not recommended, right? But uh, it's, it's what I'm doing this morning. Uh, and the reason I did that is I wanted to be really clear on what, why we're going. Right, I didn't want us to be sitting there and be like, I'm not so convinced if we should go. I'm not so convinced of God's call to go. I hope now you're like, yep, no, well, at least there's a fairly solid case. I feel quite challenged by that. I feel a little bit uncomfortable in that. And, and so now I want to talk about how we do that. Is that all right? That's good because that's the notes I got in front of me, right? I want to say that method matters. And, and I think we all, we all know this because we all have our methods, don't we? I'm a big fan of methods. We've got a number of methods in, in our lives. We have a bedtime routine sort of method for the kids. They have a bath, which is recommended if you have children, otherwise they get quite smelly. In fact, for everyone, really, that's a bit of uh, friendly advice. You should bathe at least once a day, I would recommend. Otherwise, you create your own little microbiome, which not so much a great thing sometimes. Uh, there is life on you, but maybe it's not the life that we want. Uh, and, and so we, we bath our children. Uh, again, we're great parents. We bathe our children. And then we, we, choose, we choose, they get to choose two books each. Uh, and Ollie wants us to read his book first, and Harriet wants us to read her books first. Uh, and so we have a great moment of, of uh, teaching and, and parenting opportunity to navigate that successfully every time. There's never any fights, and it's, it's fantastic. And so we start, we read the books, then we pray. Uh, hopefully before the children have fallen asleep too much. Otherwise, we just pray over them. Sometimes it's not so much participatory. And then they go asleep. It's just sleep like that. It's easy every time without fail. It always goes according to plan 100%. Not true at all, right? Sometimes we do it and we're like, why do we have this method? This method does not work. What can we do differently? Don't know. This is the best, me best method that we've got. Sometimes it's just great to have a method so that you feel like you're doing something. Yeah, you're like, oh, I don't know. Could, could this, is this working? Don't know, but it's what we're doing. And so it feels like we've got some sort of an idea of what's going on. Cannot control the children, can control our method, right? Methods are great. I personally, I, I have some, some methods. Is this 
you need to not laugh at me too much, all right? Do I have your promise that you won't laugh, or else I'll skip this portion of my notes? Do I have your, yeah, it's, it's I know, carrot, right? I'm offering you something. I've, I've got some methods. Re- recently, I read uh, about the importance of breathing through your nose. Everyone breathing through their nose? Oh, it's just this beautiful, isn't it, right? Your nose filters your air. You get much better kind of oxygenation of your blood, much less uh, kind of waste when you breathe in through your nose. That's why you've got a nose. That's the important thing, right? So you can uh, breathe in through it and also so you could breathe while you eat. But sometimes when you do that, you choke. So I would recommend you do one thing at a time is uh, a good way to, to live your life. But when you breathe through your nose, it's better for you is what I'm saying. Uh, and, and so I, it helps you filter your air better, like I said. It's, it's especially better for you when you're sleeping. There's a problem there though, right? You can't choose if you're breathing through your nose or your mouth when you're sleeping, can you? Or at least I can't. Like you go to sleep, and you're like breathe through your nose, breathe through your nose. You wake up, your mouth's wide open, it's dry, you're feeling a bit stuffy, like somewhere along the line, I, uh, I, I, I started breathing through my mouth. You wake up in the middle of the night because your wife has woken you because you're breathing through your mouth, which also comes with like an auditory sort of involvement. You make some sort of just lovely noise, which I'm sure lulls the entire household to sleep in just a very soothing, not at all sort of disturbing way, right? And so one of the the things, one of the key recommendations that I read about breathing through your nose, especially when you're sleeping, is to sleep with your mouth taped shut. You take a piece of medical tape and you just, a nice gentle medical tape or else you're going to get like chapped lips. You just put it, you put it across your mouth and uh, you, then you can't breathe through your mouth, right? Because you have taped it shut. You're kind of torturing yourself throughout the night, but you force yourself to, to breathe through your nose. And studies have found that it's actually incredibly good for you. And so for a few weeks now, uh, I, I say goodnight to M. I roll over. I get my medical tape. I rip out a little bit. I rip it off. I put it over my mouth. I, I literally said to him, I'm taping now. And she says, amen, right? Because finally you're not snoring anymore. It's amazing. And then she just tells me all the things that she's been wanting to tell me the entire day. And I can't respond. She's like, also, what do you think about this? And are you happy for me to do this? And can I do this? And I'm like, I'm taking that as a yes. And then we, we go to sleep, right? Just try it. It's, I've found it to be amazing. Just equipping you for life through faith in Jesus Christ, and uh, I'm not a medical professional. Another thing I've been trying for a few years now is, is to convince myself that I'm a cold shower guy. Uh, I say convince myself because I've read a lot of research that having a cold shower is really good for you, that, that kind of cold water immersion is, is fantastic, the benefits of it for your immune system, for, for your mood, it releases dopamine, a whole bunch of crazy great things. And, and whenever I manage to do it, we won't talk about how often I manage to do it, I feel the effects. I feel great for the rest of the day. It's, it's incredible, but, but it's one thing to know how to do something, yeah? I know every morning, I know exactly how I can move the shower from nice and warm and comfortable to torture. And I've just tortured myself all night, right? So I'm, I'm giving myself a, an easy out. I'm like, look, there's enough torture throughout the night. I'm going to have a nice warm shower to wake up after taping my mouth shut all night. But what I'm saying is it's one thing to know the good things to do. It's one thing to know the helpful methods. I've just shared with you two amazing methods that could transform your life. Not many of you are going to do it, right? You're not bold enough to step out on this journey, this adventure with me. You'll come next week, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Like, I've been taping my mouth all week and having cold showers. I feel fantastic. We're not a cult. We're not a cult, right? We're not doing weird things. It's one thing to know the method to do. It's another to, to do it. And, and so when it comes to going, when it comes to being others' focused. What's a good method and and how can we actually do that? 
Because I don't know about you, but, but there are a lot of methods to going, right? I, I grew up in church, and, and I love my history. I love my background, but sometimes you have to make jokes about it because it's it got intense, right, growing up in church. And, and I grew up in a church in a moment in time in which evangelism was really a thing. It was quite a focus in the 80s and 90s. And one of the methods that, that I was taught of evangelism was to ask someone, just start of the conversation, no, hi, how are you? Just the cold open, walk up to a person and ask them the friendly question, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you would go? Which I mean, you know, Maybe I was asking it wrong or, or something. Maybe I was, you know, not quite implementing it right, but it never really landed very well for me. I, I found the results were generally, it didn't have a great strike rate. People tended to either be confused, like I was asking them some sort of a riddle, like um, to the morgue, or I, I guess maybe um, I, where am I dying? I guess I would be in that place. Or people were quite offended, as if I was implying that I was going to to make that event happen. Like, why? Why are you asking? Is this? Are you, are you, are you trying to mug me? Are you trying? To, I didn't really have that because I was, you know, like a ten-year-old boy, and no one's really scared of a ten-year-old boy. They were mainly just a little bit confused. And then pastorally, I found that I've walked with people who made a decision to follow Jesus based on a conversation like that. And down the track, they've had to unpack some of this fear-based decision, this following Jesus as a way of avoiding punishment sort of mentality that actually hasn't been all that helpful, that they started following Jesus not because of his love, not because of his grace, not because of his mercy, not because of a lived relational experience of who he is, but because of this fear of if I don't do the right things, I'm going to end up in a bad place. See, based on my experience, it's not exactly a great method. It didn't bear good fruit. And I know for a number of us who've been in church for a while, it might be what you think of when I mention something like going and telling. You think of that sort of evangelism. You think of asking those sorts of questions. You think of handing out some sort of tract that you don't really understand, but you hope someone will read and have some sort of divine encounter with God, although you didn't. And you're like, well, I, I don't want to do that. So I guess that counts me out there. I, I don't want to go out there and, and force my faith down someone else's throat. And, 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 I, and so I guess I just can't do that. I guess I'll just try and invite someone to church every now and then. And I'll just hope that Jono does a good job. No pressure, Jono. But everyone's salvation is on you and the sermon you preach every Sunday. I welcome it. No, it's not quite true. I want to say, I think that bringing people to church on a Sunday, that, that gathering together, to inviting people to church is a good thing. This is a great space to be. But, but what I get excited about is thinking about not just one opportunity to share the gospel in a week in a Sunday gathering, but, but a group of people who are empowered and who are passionate, who are taking the hope that they have, and they're sharing it. I get excited about a big group of people who are going into all the world because there are people who are only going to hear of Jesus' love from your mouth. There are people who will only see the gospel in your life. And so I wonder, is there a method of going that's not a passive come and see? Gee, I hope someone's going to walk in the doors of church this Sunday, but also isn't a turn or burn. I think a good question to ask would be, what did, what did Jesus do? Because Jesus had a mission, right? And, and Jesus also had a, a method. And so as we embrace Jesus' mission, maybe we can also embrace his, his method. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus preaching to those who are following, but he ate with those who are far from God. Jesus lived out what church history has come to call the practice of hospitality. And hospitality just quite simply means the friendly reception and treatment of guests or strangers. 
Throughout the Bible, we see a certain group of people upset with Jesus because he's a rabbi, a man of standing in the community, and he's eating with people who weren't considered proper. Those who in the religious framework of the day were were seen as far from God. In fact, in both Matthew and Luke, we see that they refer to Jesus as a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. See, in Jesus' time, who you ate with was very much an issue of social standing. Sharing a table with someone was seen as as being associated with them, an endorsement of that person. And it wasn't okay, it wasn't acceptable for Jesus to eat with who he ate with. And, And so in doing so, they labeled the same as the people that he shared a table with. See, Jesus ate with those who no one else would be seen with. Jesus said, I'm not playing this game. I'm, I'm, I'm going to people who need hope and love. I'm showing you what an inclusive, loving, expansive way of God looks like, and I'm doing it one meal at a time. It's incredible. In, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, it says something wild. It says this, Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. It's a passage that'll just, you know, if you mull over that for too long, your brain will go a little bit mushy. Like, how does that, how does that work? Like, Jonah, what does that mean? There's a lot of theological implications in there, and we're not going to go into any of them today, except to say that, that at the very least, it means when we do ordinary, practical things, according to the Word of God, it can have supernatural implications. That when we show hospitality to strangers, something divine can happen. So I want to ask, do you want to live a a supernatural life? Do you want to live and partner with God in every day? Do you want to see the miraculous happen? I hope as people as faith that, that we do. And so then I would want to suggest, what if when you're filling up your car, you buy someone else's gas? What if when you're getting your, your coffee, you buy someone else's coffee for them? What if when you're you're getting it, what if you pay for someone else's groceries? What if you invite a colleague to eat lunch with you? What if you ask questions beyond small talk and you actually listened? Do we want someone to ask us about the faith that we have? Then show them love, show them gospel love. What could it look like to go? Could it look like practicing hospitality? I'm almost done as the the band starts to come up. I want to acknowledge it's a practice. What I mean by that is that sometimes it'll go smoothly, And sometimes it'll be awkward. Sometimes we'll love on people, and we need to love on people for the sake of loving on them, not as like an end to, all right, I've I've got enough credits now, loving on you, and now bait and switch, ha, I wasn't actually being nice to you, I just wanted to tell you about Jesus. That's not the gospel, right? The gospel is loving people, and in doing so, showing them Jesus. And it may be sometimes that we do that, that we have the chance to share something, and sometimes God is just growing us and our love for people and obedience to Him, but we keep on practicing. Because we're on mission, because we're others-focused. We're not just a people who come to get. We are commissioned to go. Like I said, I'm done today, but a final thought as I finish is that we're not just commissioned to go to, to those outside of these walls, but we're commissioned to go to each other. See, I think something that we need to understand is that if we're to understand what it is to go, if we're to understand what it is to live on mission as a people, We need to grasp this. Sermons cannot, will not, and do not change people. Conversations do. Sermons don't change people. Conversations do. 
And please hear me, I'm not saying that sermons don't matter. I happen to have given quite a lot of my life to sermons, right? To writing them, to, to mulling over them, to researching them, to, to rewriting them, to praying into them, to preaching them. I think sermons matter. In fact, I think one of the most beneficial things that you can do on a weekly basis is to sit under the preached Word of God. I think that it builds something in us. I believe the Bible when it says to us that the Word of God does not return void. That when two or three are gathered together, that something happens in our midst. That, that there is something about putting aside preference and, and coming in a space in which we lift worship up to God, in which we don't focus on ourselves, but we turn our attention towards Him corporately in a way that we like and in a way in which sometimes rubs us the wrong way, in which we come together as a family, as a people. But I am also very aware that the best sermon in the world is only ever going to be a catalyst for change. That the best sermon in the world will start a conversation. That if you reflect on your life, on significant moments, on before and after points in your walk with God, I'm sure that there's been significant teaching. I'm sure that there have been moments in God's presence, but for those moments to turn into any real, lived out, sustained change, somewhere along the way there was a conversation. Somewhere along the way, there was a chat with a friend, there was a mulling over, there was a taking apart, there was maybe a, a wrestling through, a conversation about what you wanted to do. See, something we say often here at Equippers is that we follow Jesus for ourselves. No one can follow Jesus for you. No one can have faith for you. It's a personal decision, a personal relationship that we walk out. We follow Jesus for ourselves, but we do not follow Jesus on our own. No one can have your faith for you, but you cannot have your faith on your own. We're in this together. I want to say, if, if you're trying to do this, if you're trying to follow Jesus on your own, you can. But I just want to be abundantly clear that you don't have to. If, if you're not in an e-group, if you're not in a small group community in which you can know others and, and are known, in which you can wrestle through things, in which you can celebrate and lament, in which you can pray and grow, the only person who can change that for you is you. And to be as pastorally direct as I can this morning, I want to say that if you're not, maybe don't be surprised if this lived out faith isn't landing how you thought it would. Because faith is, is meant to be lived out in community. Because a great sermon, and I pray that we have lots of those, won't do it on its own. Sermons do not change people. Conversations do. And my encouragement today is let's practice hospitality. Let's start here, in these walls. Let's be hospitable to one another. Come on, if there are people in church who you do not know the name of, you can change that. You can wait for them to change it, but you might be waiting a long time and it takes two to tango. So you change it. You walk up to them and say, hey, this is awkward, but I'm just getting over the awkwardity for the fact that this won't be awkward for another year. I've forgotten your name. I forget where I live, so don't be offended, right? Like sometimes I put the wrong shoe on the wrong foot, but I, I, I value you enough to want to get to know you. Let's start somewhere. If you're not in an e-group, come on, don't kid yourself that you're an island. It's just you and Jesus and you can do this on your own. You can follow Jesus on your own, but I don't think that you can grow. And when life gets hard and Jesus feels distant, you need people around you to support you, to love you to celebrate with you, to mourn with you. Let's start here. Let's be hospitable to one another. But let's not stop there. 
let's take that hospitality and extend it to others. Let's practice amongst ourselves where hopefully people know that you have the best intentions at heart and will be nice to you when you say an awkward thing and say, hey, maybe don't say that thing again. But let's go out of these walls. Let's be hospitable to others. We are called to go. Really in the Greek, it's as you go. Movement is implicit. There's an assumption from Jesus that his disciples will go. That having encountered the love of God, they'll be compelled to share. And so as I finish today, just as you stand to your feet, maybe you're here and and if you're honest, you don't feel like going. Maybe you feel worn out. Maybe you're like, look, I'd go, but I've got nothing in the tank. Just standing still is taking all I've got. I want to say, we're not called to to be anyone's savior. I'm not asking you to martyr yourself. But I am wanting you to to point you to a God who can meet you in your need. That throughout scripture, like we started, every person of mission starts with an encounter with God. And so maybe today you need to encounter God afresh. When I believe for all of us today, we need to encounter God afresh, whether you're starting mission or trying to persist in mission, we can't do this on our own. We can't let our following Christ be something that we turn into a a purpose and a mission separate from Him because just like every other good thing separate from God, we will destroy it. It'll fail us and we will fail it. And so the team's gonna lead us in a song that you might know. It's an oldie, but I think it's a goodie. And as we sing it, would you let this be a prayer? As you confess your love to God, would you receive His love for you? As we're doing that, the altar's gonna be open. We've got the prayer team ready to pray for you. If you'd love someone to stand with you, if today you're like, man, I just don't feel like I can feel God's love then we would love to partner with you in prayer. But could I ask that we don't leave here the same? Whatever it needs, whatever needs to happen in you for you to be a person of mission, let's intentionally pursue that today. God loves you. He's called you to go. Heads are bowed, his eyes are closed. God, we thank you that you're here. We thank you that you're with us. We thank you that you came to us and that we do not go to earn your love. We go from your love. God, would we be a people defined by receiving and going? That we would not store it up for ourselves, but that we would pour out what is in us for others, that we would live not according to the first law of thermodynamics, but according to your kingdom, that you are the God of life. Would we encounter your life and your love this morning? Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.